All right, everybody, welcome back. And in this episode, we're taking Ezekiel chapter 2. We're going to see Ezekiel's call as a prophet. And let's just jump right on in to the first two verses where Ezekiel is commanded and enabled to stand to receive his call. Okay, verse 1. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he, God, spoke to me and set me on my feet, and, and I heard him, God, who spoke to me. So there's no chapter divisions in the original writing of Ezekiel, so we should not miss the fact that Ezekiel's call to prophetic work came from the overwhelming vision of God, his chariot throne, and the cherubim that's described in Ezekiel chapter 1. And so the Son of Man, is the, this is the first of 93 times God uses this phrase to address Ezekiel. It's a title that emphasizes that he is a man among men and something of a representative of humanity. The phrase son of man is a Hebraism which emphasizes Ezekiel's insignificance or mere humanity. Um, it means nothing more than just a human being, right? And son of man was also a phrase Jesus used to refer to himself, recorded some 80 times in the gospel accounts. Yet Jesus' use of the phrase is more connected with the idea from Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 where son of man describes the divine Messiah. And by the time the similitudes of Enoch were written, chapter 46, the Son of Man had come to mean specifically the Messiah. Our Lord's use of the title seems to have taken advantage of the ambiguity between the simple and the technical meanings. So stand on your feet. And Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 28 tells us that the prophet fell on his face at the sight of the likeness of the glory of God uh, in his vision. Now he's told to stand, to hear God's message, and to receive his call. And so he was just laying down. God told him, stand up and receive the message, right? So for Ezekiel, God's word became the way the Holy Spirit entered and worked in him. And so the Holy Spirit still works and enters his people through the word of God. On many occasions, the Spirit would lift him up and give him special power for his task. The important thing was that Ezekiel to stand obediently before the Lord and listen to his word. And so at first, Ezekiel could not stand before the glory of the Lord, but was then commanded to stand. As he heard the word of God's command, the Spirit entered him and worked in him to do what God commanded. This same pattern of the work of the Spirit and God's word is evident in believers today. So if God has called you to do a certain thing, he's going to give you the power to do it. The best position you can come to is to recognize that you're not able in your own strength to do the job that Lord has given you. To You know, you can't take credit for it. Lord's given you that strength. He's given you that talent. It's not of your own. He is enabling you. Right. Verse 3 through 5, the call, speaking to the rebellious house of Israel. And he said to me, son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. So at this time, the children of Israel still had something of the kingdom in Judah and a temple in Jerusalem, yet many of them were also scattered across the Middle East by the forced exiles under the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Ezekiel's word was for all of them. And so 
he says, I'm sending you. So prophets function primarily as messengers of God. And the critical issue in the conflict between true and false prophets was which persons had actually been commissioned by God. Accordingly, the most serious charge that could have been leveled against a true prophet was God has not sent you in Jeremiah 43 verse 2. All right, so to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, God. So God sent Ezekiel to speak to a difficult audience. They were rebellious by nature, and their rebellion was even worse because it's against God, the God who loved them and did so much for them. Truly, they were impudent and stubborn children. Rebellious nation is literally rebellious nations in the plural. The word is the familiar term goyim most often referring to heathen nations. The plural noun Goyim nations, or NIV nation, refers to two separate nations of Israel and Judah, which made up the entire nation of Israel during Ezekiel's day. <clears throat> so collectively, it's a remarkably negative picture. They're the children of Israel, yet often fleshly and grasping like their father Jacob. They're a rebellious nation, often more like the Gentiles, Goyim, than God's own people. They rebelled against God and are traitors and rebels, and they're impudent and stubborn children like insubordinate teens. All right, everybody knows the difficult teenager. So it's characteristic of Ezekiel's message that he didn't see anything good in Israel's past history, chapters 16 and 23 for that. And so to describe the people as both heathen and rebellious or idolatrous at the very outset of God's word of commissioning is quite in keeping with the outworking of the prophet's message in the rest of the book. So Ezekiel was sent to Israel to speak God's words, not his own. Right? Don't get mad at me. God saying it, essentially. And this was not about what Ezekiel liked or didn't like. It wasn't up to him. It was about being God's messenger. And that should be true for every pastor, preacher, and Bible teacher today. And if you are a Christian, you are called into a ministry. You are called a priest and a king. So you are not in a passive ministry if you're a Christian. That's true for everybody. You are to represent the Lord. And so... Over a dozen times in Ezekiel, the phrase rebellious house or literally house of rebellion is employed. Instead of the house of Israel, they had become a house of rebellion. All right. And so the greater the position of privilege, the greater the extent of disobedience. So God told Ezekiel that whether Ezekiel or um, whether Israel would hear or refuse, it wouldn't change the prophet's fundamental message. Being the messenger, he was not ultimately responsible for how the message was received, only to demonstrate that a prophet has been among them. If Ezekiel did demonstrate that he was indeed a prophet of God, truly among them with God's word, then he could leave those results up to God. Right? All right, verse 6 through 8. Do not fear, but speak boldly. Verse 6. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, through briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. So God warned Ezekiel that many would reject his message. Their rejection would sting like briars, thorns, and scorpions. Yet it should not drive the prophet to fear and despair. 
you'll note how Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel here were all given a depressing call. They were needed in a desperate situation and had to be prepared for a large measure of rejection and even threats on their life. They were not giving a popular message. So this difficult call was easier for Ezekiel to embrace because it came from a genuinely awesome encounter with God because he was absolutely convinced of the power, majesty, and glory of God. It gave him strength and courage to stand against the stinging rejection of men. And so, dismayed by their look, sometimes the rejection of the message is seen in the look of a disdain or proud defiance. Uh, Ezekiel was not to allow the acceptance or rejection of the message to determine his work. Like Paul exhorted Timothy, he was to preach the word in season and out of season, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, you are to teach it whether it's fashionable or not, right? You stand for it regardless. And though the house of Israel may rebel against God's word, it was essential that Ezekiel the prophet surrender and submit to it. God then gave Ezekiel an acted out illustration of this acceptance of every word of God to eat the words of God. So the people were rebellious, but Ezekiel could not be. He had to be surrendered to the Lord, even if they were not, indeed, especially if they were not. And God immediately challenged Ezekiel's obedience, telling him to do something unusual. If the people of Israel rejected God's word, Ezekiel had to accept it completely, taking it into the innermost core of his being. So Jeremiah had God's word put into his mouth. And Ezekiel here is given a written scroll to digest. It's of the objective word of God, which becomes part of you know himself. Uh, God's servants should receive God's word as if they actually eat it. Actually eating the material pages of the Bible wouldn't do you any spiritual good, but it's using the figure of eating the scroll as a picture of how we should receive God's word and do us great good. Eating the scroll speaks of many things that should mark our reception of God's revealed word. It's deliberate action, it's readiness to receive, it's internal reception, it's repetuous, you know, repetitious chewing, complete reception, the process of digesting, it's a necessity, it's sweet, and it's strength and nourishment. All right? So you to basically to consume the material, right? Is drawing a, a picture here, an analogy, metaphor, if you will. All right, verse 9 and 10, the written out words of judgment against Israel. Verse 9, Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. So in the vision of Ezekiel chapter 1, the only hands mentioned were that of the cherubim surrounding the God's throne. It isn't clear if this was the hand of God or an angelic hand. Whether it's actually the hand of the Lord or simply a figure made necessary by the visionary symbolism is not important. The scroll, of course, represents the word which Ezekiel is to proclaim. And this emphasizes, right, a scroll of a book was in it. It emphasizes that God's word was not only a spontaneous word spoken to his appointed prophets. God had a plan, a purpose, and an authority for his written word. All right, so uh, as God or the angel spread the scroll out for Ezekiel, he could see that it was full of God's message. It was complete. And so this was the most important message. There was lamentations, mourning, and woe uh, for the house of Israel to hear. It was the message that, th that would be sharply rejected. Under the new covenant, we can be happy that in general we have a much better message to bring. Right? What a mercy to have that which is emphatically called the glad tidings, the good news. 
Christ Jesus is coming to the world to save sinners, and he wills that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Here are rejoicings, thanksgivings, and exultation. And that is chapter 2. Thank you for joining me.